Hey, welcome to January Men, the January Boys fan cast. I'm a bump on a log. And I'm trapped in this tree. Today's episode, of course, brought to you by Tortuna's Pizza Puffs. Tortuno's. Of course it's food. What else would it be? Anyway, <laughs> jokes aside, how are you doing today? Well, besides being stuck in this 18-foot pine tree after being chased by a meerkat... Uh, meerkats are vicious, by the way. I'm doing okay. I'm really excited to talk about today's episode of the January Boys TV show. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, we, we did, of course, record an episode. This is a late episode. Uh, and I, I lost it. Well, to be honest, you, you were lost in the Arctic and you had to subsist on the actual episode for nourishment. Yeah, I did have to devour the content and and the life force from the episode. Um, The episode died in my arms, and I uh, sucked the blood from it, and then I roasted the flesh and um, did consume it for nourishment. So I apologize, listeners, that I went on vacation, I guess. Jesus. I mean, get off his back already. Yeah, Christ. I've gotten an entire tweet about it, and um, I don't like the way you're judging me. A man has to have a break. Yeah, even if that break consists of running through the Arctic, losing my way, having to eat all of my sled dogs just because I forgot lunch, and uh, hiding in a cave with my episode. And of course the episode was beautiful and pure and selfless, so it, it gave me its life. And I think this is something we can all learn from. I do too. But you know what survived the vacation is our new section, News Briefs. News Briefs. Brief news. News. And it's briefs. Joe Biden may be running for president, which could cut into his time filming the January Boys' ninth film. Um, I don't know if he has my vote, purely for selfish reasons. He still hasn't texted me back. There's the plus side of having a Biden presidency, which could entirely be based on the January Boys franchise, potentially. Or there's the fact that he could be just distracted while running, and then if he loses, maybe he'll be too sad to make another January Boys movie. I don't know. He's an unpredictable creature. He is, and of course he would probably be going against um, our lord and savior Jeff Bezos uh, if he were to decide to run again in 2036. And we would not want our Lord and Savior to, like, crush our beloved Joe Biden. So we we must think to the future and our own values. Well, I believe that Amazon is planning on being the first corporation to run for president. I concur. And so what we need is not a Joe Biden presidency, but a Joe Biden-Amazon contingency. Mm. Um, but that's just my take on it. I'm, I'm no politician. <laughs> well, there's some more news about... Uh, the new director for the January Boys film franchise, which is extremely exciting. This is a game changer. Speaking of the ninth film, of course, um, we talked a little bit about the it during our SDCC episodes, but they've gotten rid of J.J. Abrams. 
they're not doing a Steven Spielberg film. Who'd they tap for the new film? None other than acclaimed indie director Christopher R. Mim, known for such films as Where Skeeto, Nazi Hunter, Monster at Phantom Lake, and um, Cave Woman on Mars, I think is one of his top ones. My personal favorite of his is not The Giant Spider, but uh, Attack of the Moon Zombies. I'm a little less familiar with this director's filmography, so this is extremely exciting for me because the potential of having a whole new set of eyes to view this film franchise through is, again, just every time every time they change directors, it's life-changing in some way because this is an immortal story. It's an immortal story for a post-truth era. You know, um, it's it's got romance, it's got action it's got the other thing that people look for in movies i don't know the plot of the upcoming film yet but i assume it's got at least romance and probably action now that i know that christopher r mim is directing it i know it's probably going to be in black and white and there may be some sort of radioactive creature and you know what i'm glad that they're bringing it back to an indie director after doing so many big budget films um and i can't wait to see what this notoriously low budget director does with a notoriously big budget. And you can bet that we will be all over this story. We will probably be your primary source for information about this film. I would be surprised if any other sources brought you accurate information about this film. As would I, because though there may be other January Boys podcasts, maybe there are no January Boys podcasts that are as up-to-date and totally, completely in the know as we are. Absolutely. And on that same note, I have a bit of Hollywood gossip. Notorious Hollywood heartthrob Werner Herzog has been spotted with both Jennifer Lawrence and Dr. Jane Goodall. Ooh, Jane Goodall, notoriously the alpha female and homewrecker. Better not get in between Werner Herzog and uh, good old J-Law, because I ship them. I think we've all shipped them for quite some time. I'm just glad it finally happened. Uh... It's Jennifer Lawrence and Werner Herzog, of course, met at a Taco Bell. And only beautiful romances start at Taco Bell. He probably went up to her and said something romantic like, life has no meaning, and she went, yeah, duh. And then they probably connected on that level, and I really appreciate that. Legend has it that they dance over the grave of Timothy Treadwell on their anniversary every year. Yeah, four years and counting. Jennifer Lawrence and Werner Herzog. But if uh, this Jane Goodall character gets in there, I mean, ask any gorilla, and she'll she'll let you know. Not to be trusted, this one. And, uh, yeah, thank you. We're going to pause for a commercial break really quickly. And uh, that's all the news you can use. Use news! Ho, ho, ho! Consider the pet cemeteries. That's right. Turns out this isn't a Christmas ad. And I'm not Santa Claus. I'm Gil Thomas, the owner of Sleeping Rascals Pet Cemetery. When your beloved house pets expire, don't toss them out like an old Christmas tree. Bring them to Sleeping Rascals, and we'll inter them properly and respectfully. Ironically, our holiday discount rates have just expired. Sleeping Rascals Pet Cemetery. Our marketing approach is confusing. And we're back here to talk to you today about the fourth episode in the January Boys TV series. This one is a little bit of a... It's kind of a classic, I'd say. I mean, they're all classics in their own way, but... uh, This one was the first and only episode directed by Quentin Tarantino. 
and it doesn't actually entirely focus on the characters of Jeb or Joe, but instead on uh, a middleman, a man that we are familiar with, played, of course, by Josh Gad, Bobby Slappy, Stein McKenzie, uh, famous for one thing and one thing only, the first scene in the second film of January Boys, uh, where he and Joe Biden get into a fight. This is one of the first episodes that starts to directly incorporate uh, characters and references from the original uh, January Boys franchise that aren't related to Jeb and Joe. Bobby Slappystein McKenzie's character infamously was sort of an antagonist in the second January Boys film, you know, fighting against Joe uh, in rivalry for the status of Prime Rooster Man, and being kind of an unofficial assistant to to Liam Neeson's villain. And, of course, we have not been introduced to Liam Neeson's villain in the series yet, but now this just this acknowledgement of the origin of these characters really starts to connect the universe in a way that we really haven't dealt with before. And, in fact, what's interesting is that Bobby Slappy, Stein McKenzie, kind of is the protagonist in this episode. The setup is almost the same as uh, in these classic episodes of high school dramas where somebody has a scenario where they have like two dates to the prom or to a special event and they have to juggle two. And this event, Bobby Slappy Stein McKenzie actually has to juggle two science fair partners with different experiments. And those two partners are Joe and Jeb. Yeah, and it's, again, a classic episode, and it's done in the classic style of Quentin Tarantino. Instead of the opening sequence that we're most familiar with, they actually have a long scene where Josh Gad, Slappy, is running to school, late for class, has to jump over a bus, tumbles over some cheerleaders, and uh, slices three people's heads off with his binder on his way into class. Now he runs right into the auditorium, and right when he does that to uh, A Change Is Gonna Come by Baby Huey and the Babysitters, there's that big scream right before it. He goes, yeah, of course, in Baby Huey and the Babysitters' classic screaming way. And he just chops off someone's head and then stands up, brushes himself off, uh, and walks over to Jeb, who is working on his marine science project. Specifically, Jeb's marine science exhibit is examining the levels of radioactivity at their local beach, which might be contributing to the existence of the local Creek Beach monster legend that is reputed to be sighted at moon tide and moonlight at various beach parties around the area. And his thesis is actually that uh, there is a specific uh, Creek Beach lever that just releases radioactivity for reasons that no one understands. Meanwhile, Joe is working on his ornithology project, uh, sort of linking the local surf group, the Bohemian Waxwings, with their local Montana bird legends, um, the Bohemian Waxwings. And it, it actually comes across as a rather interesting anthropological and ornithological study on surfers and birds. So, I mean, they've published the whole thing online. Uh, I'd really recommend you go and check it out. Of course, a lot of the work was done by Bobby Slappy Stein McKenzie, because Joe Biden is the rooster man, and he ain't going to do the work he ain't going to do. Bobby Slappy Stein McKenzie has endeared himself to himself to the point where he believes he can convince anyone to like him. 
and this is part of the justification for him juggling these two giants of the local high school and the local science project. Obviously, Jeb is the favorite from the teachers, such as Esme Squalor, played by Tina Fey, uh, who's their science-slash-theater teacher. She's all in on Jeb's exhibit. He's been the star student for a while. But also, Bobby Sloppy Stein McKenzie is feeling like he can pull through he can pull Joe through to the finish line. And you get the sense that he's genuinely torn between these two giants of the school. And you get a little bit of tension between the two giants themselves, you know? It's a sort of Goliath versus Goliath story, if you will. Um they really both want the gold. Uh, Jeb because he's worked hard for it. Joe because he thinks he should get it as uh, top dog, as top rooster, as the cock of the walk, you know? And neither of them seems to put two and two together that uh, their partner is in both of their classes and uh, hasn't divulged any outside information about his personal life when asked, oh, are you ready to do this? And he goes, oh, no, I have to set up, ju- I mean, go powder my nose. And then he runs away. Of course, these are all. this is all shot in a beautiful 44-millimeter film, just brightly colored. Oranges, yellows, blacks, and reds take uh, precedent in the color scheme, which is weird because the school's colors are actually just teal and teal. So they had to get rid of all school colors in order to make Tarantino's vision work. And... My favorite scene, actually, I think, the one that really ties it into the Tarantino-verse is uh, Joe Biden walks in, and he's chomping on a big kahuna burger, and that's it. That's the whole scene. They, they just show him eating it in in its entirety, and he's walking in and out of the door several times. It's a beautiful long take, and of course, you may not have heard of 44mm film because what it is is it's literally just a frame of beautiful... 70 millimeter film that has been cut down, trimmed with scissors around it so that it fits into a a 44 millimeter format. But you can see the edges, and they're not all even because they've all been hand trimmed. It's mostly triangular. It's triangular film. And this is the only episode that was shot in that format. The only episode, not just of January Boys, but of any series. So... Again, one for the ages. Really a masterwork of television cinema. A marriage of the two formats. Um, Sort of a Frankenstein's monster mixed with a swamp creature. Because, uh, as we're about to find out, there are a lot of monsters in this episode. Not just Michael Richards. Not only. Of course, Michael Richards plays the high school principal. You know, gloriously not voicing any racial epithets. Uh, Truly a miracle. All his takes are long takes, and it seems to zoom in... Anytime it seems to, he like dances around certain subjects and it, it seems like he could go off at any moment and then just backs off. It's actually amazing because given Tarantino's thoughts on the N-word, you'd think Michael Richards would be his star of this episode. But he decided in a, a fit of just beautiful purity not to say anything for the entire episode and all of Michael Richards' lines were cut in lieu of amazing slapstick comedy. Every time he begins to open his mouth when he has an announcement, he, it's just there's a point of tension. All the focus is on him. He he opens his mouth. He begins to think about speaking, and he'll, like, slip on something and fall and, like, break a shoulder. 
or he'll get back up and then uh, a bumper car will come up and literally slam into his leg. Of course, bumper cars are classic American science fair activity. Well, that's what happens in, right before the commercial break. Michael Richards, as Principal Stewart, slips and breaks his shoulder. And in that frame, we also see the Raccoon King lurking in the shadows. This is the beginning of the connection between antagon between sort of antagonists to Jeb and Joe, such as Bobby Sleppy, Stein McKenzie, or even Rupert Grint's character uh, with the gang Souls of Stolas and the Raccoon King. As we'll see later in the series, he will appear in shadows and mirrors as like glimpses into sort of the demonic other world. Like there's there was a deleted scene we learned later on our DVD packet of the uh, television series where uh Josh Gad's character went into the bathroom and gazed into his own reflection and the raccoon king uh shoved his little uh raccoon claw arms out. But they decided to focus on the antics of uh Michael Richards sliding and crashing into objects and literally hurting himself. And the sort of costume change drama of Josh Gad and his relationship with Jeb and Joe. You'll see he slips between it's weird. He slips between various disguises. When he wants to talk to Jeb but he has to cross through uh, Joe's exhibit. He'll put on, like, a parasol and an old-timey, like, dress and just, like, waltz by. But the parasol is, like, uh, covering his eyes and uh, facial profile. Josh Gad, of course, famous uh, quick-change artist, known for cross-dressing. And um, those beautiful locks. The episode ends with Jeb and Joe finding out through a wardrobe malfunction that Slappy has been two-timing them, and then Michael Richards slamming into all three of them right when they realize, well, if he's on both of our teams, neither of us can win. Then, uh, now this makes more sense because of the deleted scene, but um, they didn't uh, include it, so I was confused the first time I watched it, but Slappy gets up and hacks up a furball that grows and becomes the Raccoon King. Now, it's only hinted at that there's any connection between the two characters for the entire episode because they cut the main connection scene. But you do see glimpses of the Raccoon King throughout the entire thing. And this is the beauty of Tarantino's work. He may have no limits when it comes to exploiting black people, but when it comes to exploiting animals, he's very tasteful. So I think the hidden treasure of this episode has been to look for all the hints of the Raccoon King in this. Like, I never noticed, actually, in the scene where uh, Joe is eating the Big Huna burger, there's a raccoon tail hanging right out of it. You didn't notice that the first watch through? I did not. I was gazing into Joe's beautiful baby blues. It's that winning smile. It gets you every time, even when it's stuffed full of beef. I mean, precisely. And then when I noticed the tail, I'm like, of course. Duh. As the uh, hacked-up furball that Bobby Slappy Stein McKenzie emits uh, just kind of unfolds and grows to a height of approximately six or seven feet tall, eventually it, it just reaches that height and unfolds itself and reveals itself to be the Raccoon King and announces the winner was Alvy Shorenfield, a character we've never heard of. True Tarantino fashion. Well, that's the end of the episode, you guys. I, I hope you enjoyed this sort of... Uh, look at the fourth episode in the series, and we'll be back next week with a uh, look at the fifth episode, Revenge of the Raccoon King. 
Anything you'd like to say before we head out? As always, keep January in your heart.